Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone. I have Harold Thornborough here today. He's the one of the hosts of the Modern Homesteading Podcast. He has the website Redemption Permaculture and the author of From Home to Small Town Homestead. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm really excited to have Harold on today because we have been going down a lot of homesteading or homeschooling rabbit holes lately, and I'm excited to circle back to homesteading in the spring when everyone's getting super excited about it. (laughs) Yes, it is the time of year, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretending it's spring already. Yeah, I like to pretend that too. (laughs) I'm not a winter person, but you know, it is. I do like having four seasons because there are some advantages to it. But uh, yeah, I long for spring every winter. Absolutely. I mean, I've learned to have a little bit of a cycle in our life where I look forward and I get a lot of reading done in the winter, but I don't know. It's starting to have some warmer days and I am loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, as the days get longer and the temperatures start going up. Yeah. I just, I, I can't, I spend uh, a lot of time in seed catalogs planting that garden. <laughs> I haven't even done my seed inventory for the year. So I I'm hoping that there's still seeds left when I decide to order some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there will, at least from the big companies anyway. Yeah. Right. Oh, the last couple of years, it's been terrible, but I think we're kind of mellowing out on that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I was joking. Everybody talks about the victory gardens and we need to stop doing a victory garden when it's, when things are bad, do it now, like before things get bad. So you have food. And then I was like, I'm just going to grow a victory cow. Yeah. And you know, so many people too, just on the kind of the prepper side of things too, you have these, a lot of these people that just store seeds and they don't even grow gardeners. Like, Oh, I'm just storing seeds for when it gets bad. Well, what are you going to do with them? Well, one thing seeds, depending on how they're stored, they may or may not be viable mm-hmm. at this time. And also gardening is kind of a, a skill that you learn, you know, yeah. and if you're not practicing it, you may not be able to grow much if you don't know what you're doing. So, yeah. Well, like I said, in my younger years, I was completely a black thumb. And I mean, I was even an ag major and couldn't grow anything in my like greenhouse class. <laughs> and now I can pretty much grow anything so yeah I mean I don't want to scare people off as too complicated it isn't but there are some things you want to know and 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 you you do get better at it with some experience for sure so oh yeah it's definitely a skill and you learn things every year and I mean I've had I mean even last year was probably our worst harvest ever and we even had raised beds and new soil but I started late because we were doing our raised beds and new soil so yeah yeah for sure But, you know, I life gave me lemons and I made lemonade. I have jars and jars and jars of pickled green tomatoes that are absolutely delicious. I'm actually next year going to per or this year purposely going to have some green tomatoes to pickle because they were so good. Yeah, I would say where you live with just the light issues, you probably, yeah, you probably uh, red tomatoes are probably kind of a last minute thing, aren't they up there? Yeah, we, I mean, we get a lot of green tomatoes and then we're like, okay, any day now we're going to have red ones and it's hit and miss. Like sometimes all of a sudden we have a bazillion red tomatoes or like this year I got home at the end of October from Homesteaders and I still had green tomatoes. I think I had like three red ones all season. Yeah. Yeah. I I love my tomatoes. I'd hate to have to wait (laughs) so long for them, but right. I think I could live off of them. And I keep saying that I'm going to start tomatoes like now when I start my onions and celery and stuff and just grow them big. I have a really nice light setup, so there's really no reason why I can't. I just don't. Yeah. That's kind of the key with tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. There's a few plants that you really want to get going Mm -hmm. as early as possible. So you can get them as early as possible because, you know, of course it it depends on what you're growing too. Like if you like cherry tomatoes, those will produce pretty quick and all year long. But uh, yeah, if you want those big old nice red tomatoes, they Mm -hmm. they do take a while. I'll eat all tomatoes. I don't even care. They're so good. I could literally live off of them. I tell you what, a lot of people are starting to develop a lot of allergies to tomatoes. I don't know if it's 
because of store-bought or what, but like, I even have like people in my immediate family that, that can't hardly eat them because they'll like irritate the inside of their mouth real bad and stuff. Oh no. It'd be a real common thing with people from what I understand. Hmm. I mean, I have a 17 year old who gags over the thought of tomatoes, but, but he eats more pizza than I've ever. Likes pizza sauce, huh? (laughs) Right. Like he's an electrician's apprentice and like, he goes to the pizza place every day for lunch and every day after work and he does side work in there for the owner and gets free pizza it's to be young again and be able to eat like that not worry about it (laughs) and then you know his dish night he's like guess what i'm bringing home dinner it's always pizza (laughs) yes i miss those days when i could eat like that and not Mm -hmm. have an effect on me but it was we can probably get into the story here a little bit it did have an effect on me eating like that for too long in my life so (laughs) well you know what i think a lot of us talk about what our catalyst was to really dive into homesteading let's go ahead and talk about that for a minute yeah well, for me, it was, I, I did grow up homesteading. Like I said, I live in rural Indiana, kind of small mm-hmm. town, USA, Indiana here. And when I was growing up, I'm 50 years old now. And when I was growing up, like everybody around us had a couple cows, a few pigs, chickens. I mean, it was just normal. We didn't mm-hmm. call it homesteading or anything, but everybody had a garden. Everybody was raising a few animals. And, you know, I never thought that I would be doing anything different than that. I just thought that's the way it is. You know, you raise a few animals, you put food on your table. Yeah. grow a garden you know take care of things so I, my plan was even growing up I did like it and I always enjoyed doing that so my plan was to always have a homestead like that and do that but uh life sometimes has other plans for you <laughs> you know yep sure does I'm an adult and I had you know I got married had three kids I started a trucking business I started driving a truck and then I started buying more trucks and started building a trucking business nice and uh, I just found that I was working a lot, you know, a lot of times, seven days a week, I was on the road a lot mm-hmm. you know, for years and years and years. And we still lived and me and my wife had bought a house right when we first got married in town, a little 10th acre lot, you know, it wasn't a <laughs> big yard, nothing fancy, just a simple little three bedroom house. And we, we still live in that same three bedroom house. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, we'll get into that a little bit too, but, um, so uh, again, I'm truck driving for, you know, years and years and years, all, all the way up into my kids' high school years, running this business and um, working a lot. Well, I had a real bad habit of just trying to save a lot of money, right? Which we thought we think that's a bad habit, but when it comes to your food, mm-hmm. it can be a bad habit. What I mean by that is I'm eating like Taco Bell, McDonald's two, three times a day, seven mm, days a week yeah. sometimes on the road. That's all I'm eating, drinking soda eating garbage food all the time yeah you know i think you can handle a lot of things in moderation but i wasn't moderate for me at all i mean i'm living on it and um i did that for many 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 years well see Uh, we figured out the key to cutting out fast food you just move an hour and 20 minutes away from the closest bad fast food restaurant (laughs) that'll do it yeah that'll do it i'm driving you know every truck stop i'm stopping in that's all they've got in there half the time you know so you're just eating whatever's available and it was cheap you know five dollars you get you could get nice and full for five bucks back then you know Mm -hmm. at a mcdonald's or whatever and and i was able to eat and keep going and and you know when you're young you don't think about i mean i felt pretty healthy i'm an active person you know um so i felt okay you know, so I didn't think much of it and thought, well, someday, and my whole thing was someday, you know, and I did plan on still having a homestead someday when I could have 20 acres somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did plan on eating better someday, you know, when I slowed down in life a little bit, um, it was always someday, you know, with me. So you just work, work, work and working towards that someday. And, um, someday started coming around because, you know, now all my kids are like in the later years of high school at this point, And I've pretty much missed them growing up. And that started wearing on me a little bit. So yeah. I decided because my plan was owning a trucking business was to eventually grow it big enough. Which I had a few trucks, but it still was never big enough to where I could just kind of stay home and manage things. You know, I was still out there trucking and um, my plan was to hopefully get it big enough to where I wouldn't have to do that. Well, of course I'm seeing that this isn't happening nearly as quickly as I thought it was going to happen. So me and my wife just made the decision that, you know what, let's shut down the business, let's sell the trucks. I'm just going to take a local job where I can be home every night, spend more time with the family. Cause it was pretty nice. hard on the family being, you gone. know, I was a single mom working 80 hours a week. So yeah. it's I hard. feel, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And uh, I did that, you know, and it was working out well, uh, we were still making, uh, still making good money, but I was still working a lot of hours, but I was home every night. I was home weekends. Mm-hmm. I was able to spend more time with the kids. Well, when my youngest 
was a senior in high school. I was 39 years old. We started having kids really young. Wow. And uh, we had three, three daughters and started really I'm young. I'm 39 and my youngest is three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So mine was 17 when I was 39. Well, I was started having a lot of gut pain and I didn't really know what was going on. I'd only been work I, about three years. I'd been two, two years. I think I'd been at this local job. And so one night I just ended up in the emergency room because I'm in so much pain. I don't know what's going on. And it turned out I had a blockage. I had a tumor in my colon about the size of a tennis ball. Oh man. No sign of it before. I mean, I still felt good. I'm working every day, but it just started back and things started backing up, you know, cause it's a blockage. And uh, yeah, I had stage three colon cancer. Oh, how scary. Yeah. At 39 years old. And, and it was, um, it was a wake up call in a lot of ways, you know, and, and I had no trouble, uh, understanding why I had that immediately. I knew all those years of sitting in a truck and eating this junk food mm -hmm. seven days a week, sometimes meal after meal after meal. Cause we had no can. I really didn't have any cancer in my family. Nope. Everybody's mm -hmm. pretty healthy in my family. Uh, it wasn't something I could attribute to that. I had no doubts what the cause of this was. Oh, it definitely it changes your pH and your systems. Yeah. And yeah, that's Absolutely. how that gets going. Yeah. And of course it sets me on a path now here. I'm, you know, they're, want to do surgery immediately then start mm -hmm. chemo and at first i'm just like well let's just do what the doctors say i i you know it doesn't sound good whatever's going to have to happen doesn't sound good but let's just let's just stay positive and let's go down this path and i had the surgery removed about a third of my colon got that out of there it was stage three so i had gotten out of the colon and my nerves and um they removed a lot of that and um i uh was scheduled to start chemo and I was doing my first chemo treatment on my 40th birthday. Mm. <laughs> what a way to spend a birthday. Um, and I did that and it was bad. It was really bad for me. A doctor said it was worse than he's seen with most people because it just hit me hard for some reason. He thought mm -hmm. maybe I was having some kind of allergic reaction to something. Oh man. They made a few adjustments. A couple weeks later, I do a second one and I'm supposed to do this for a year, every other week oh. for a whole year. And get to the second one, same thing. So on the third one, he says, well, let's try to just cut everything in half and just do like a half a treatment and see how it does hit me just as hard. Oh man. And I went to him and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I, I, I can't, there's no way I'm going to make a year of this. No way. Yeah. And, um, he's like, well, you know, if you stop now, this is our best chance to, to get this, you know? And if we stop now, you're probably going to come back to me in a year and there's not gonna be anything I can do for you. And I said, well, I, I just can't do it. Uh, I'm just going to take my chances. I've been doing some research on some alternate methods. Of course, when doctors hear that, they're like, okay, you're yeah, not Yeah, they doctor, immediately you know? glaze over. And Well, he, he actually got kind of angry. Well, I'm the doctor here. You, do, you know, I actually went to school for this. I know what I'm talking about. He, he got a little mad about that. And I said, well, another thing, you can just go ahead and take the port. I got a port in my chest. I said, let's get that out. And he goes, no, let's leave that in. You might change your mind. So I'm not changing my mind. Get it out. Uh, so I, they scheduled me for surgery to remove that, got that out. Wow. And I said, I'm just, this is the path I'm going down. And he, in his mind, I'll be dead in a year, you know, but I talked to some other people with their family members that went through this and they didn't live, but more than a couple of years doing the chemo with the stage three, same cancer I had. And it just helped me make up my mind. I was like, well, if I am only going to live a year or two, that's not the At way I want to You're not going to be miserable. Yeah. I thought I'm not gonna live it like that. And so, but I'd done a lot of research, like I said, while I was mm -hmm. off work for the surgery and everything, I'm reading a lot of stuff on, you know, you become like this internet doctor in some senses, you really, oh, yeah. when you've got an ailment, you want to get some answers, you know, well, and especially when you're a reasonably educated person and can sort that stuff out and not believe yeah. everything that you read. It's, it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was looking at a lot of alternative stuff, you know, and there were mm -hmm. people that were having a lot of success with some certain diets and, you know, certain things. So I really got into the keto diet and, uh, nice. I, and I did it aggressively, like zero sugar, zero carbs, uh -huh. clean keto, only like grass fed beef and pasture raised pork and, you know, uh, uh, free range chickens that are eating, you know, whole, whole foods and, you know, eating good foods. Um, we got really aggressive with it. In the meantime, I put a couple of raised beds in my backyard. This is like May of this year. And I went in and got a couple of raised beds going. I'm growing lettuce and I'm built, making a salad out of my backyard every day. So, you know, it just got me down that path. It was kind of like, like I said, like you said, the catalyst for getting me started. But mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm still like, how much can you really do though? Right. I mean, it's like, I live in town. I'm on a 10th of an acre. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be able to really, you know, grow enough to, to, to live off of, so to speak. And it got me doing a lot of research in that area as well. 
um, I ran across a ran across a few videos on YouTube and some books and things, but there was one that really hit me hard. And you probably heard of them. You're from California, and you've ever heard of the Dervais family? I actually haven't. They were in Southern California. Oh well, Pas- see, that's a Pasadena. totally different world. Yeah, different country. Yeah, I was um, in Northern. That's right. It's a whole different country. <laughs> um, they were down in Pasadena area, which is not mm-hmm. all the way south, but they're in Pasadena, and they have a urban homestead, tenth of an acre mm-hmm. of growing space in their backyard. Filled wow. with raised beds. And I've probably actually come across them and you've just probably seen the pictures yeah. they've mm-hmm. shared on Facebook and stuff. That sounds but, familiar. Yeah. And it's just they're I think their big thing is they have like a picture which is like six thousand pounds of food grown in this little backyard, right? And um, but they had a lit video on on YouTube and I, I came across that video and it lit me up. It got me excited for the possibilities of what could happen on a small lot. And I thought, well, if they can do it, yeah, they got year-round growing, they can do little things a little bit better than maybe I maybe a little them, but, more but yeah but they can grow a lot and they were you know they're vegetarian so they weren't raising meat and I thought well I'm got rabbits and quail I'm doing and you know I'm doing some other stuff too so I, mm-hmm. I can even take that another step further than they I are mean, rabbits and quail are great because they yeah so fast and you all the fertilizer you get from yep. them and- oh yeah there's a whole whole list of benefits to raising uh, raising them and just mm-hmm. small footprint and just all the things I love my quail yeah do you do caternix quail do you mm-hmm yeah, they're great. They're great. Um, but yeah, so I was doing all that and it really got me excited about the possibilities of a small lot. And, um, again, I was always thinking someday, someday, well, yeah. the day has come, you know, and it's time to yeah. do what I can do with what I've got. And we got busy with it, you know, and, um, filled the whole backyard up with raised beds and put in some fruit trees and, like I said, raising the animals and nice. got a little crazy with it, got a little crazy with it. Sometimes you have to figure out what works for you. And the next thing you know, I'm feeling really, really good. I mean, I'm feeling better than I have. Like, I think I had been kind of sick for years, but didn't realize it because mm-hmm. now I feel fantastic. I'm eating great. Got this cancer removed from me. I'm, you know, I've got more energy and more alert than I've ever been my whole life. And, you know, I'm 40 years old at this point. And I'm like, that's crazy. You know, that um, was when so we good. turned my husband's health around. He was like, yeah. wow. Yeah, it, it's just amazing how much different you feel. I mean, I probably hadn't felt like that since I was in my early 20s, you know, mm-hmm. I was first feeling that good. And um, yeah, I got really energetic with it and uh, and and got excited about it. Well, year after year, I, I go back and I'm still getting my test done. Even though I'm not taking treatments or anything, I'm still going back to the doctor. I'm going to this uh, oncologist every year and he's giving mm-hmm. me a colonoscopy. He's giving, you know, he giving me some scans and things. Nothing, nothing, nothing. At five years, he goes, just quit coming back. I, nice. <laughs> I'm like, just go through your regular doctor. If you have some pain or something, come, but you know, he'll send you back to me, but you're good. Well, it's been 11 years now. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't throw that out there with any kind of arrogance. Cause I know cancer is a, a fiscal, a, a, a finicky beast and it can, it can, um, you know, stress can, can spark it or just anything. And I'm, I don't eat as good as I did even when those first three or four years after you know, you I was were really aggressive with the mm-hmm. keto at first, but I've, I've lightened up on that a lot. And it's not, you know, it's not like where I was before. Um, so, you know, I don't ever, I'm always careful to say I'm a cancer survivor because time will tell that, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a hard one. I have, yeah. you know, like you were saying, I spent my 33rd birthday hearing that my husband had in stage liver disease. Yeah. And I just spent my 39th birthday while he was having surgery and they, it was surgery for something else, but they checked his liver while they were in there and said, they saw a teeny bit of cirrhosis and not even fat in the rest of his liver. Wow. Well, like that they said it, he 100% yeah. has a healing liver. So that's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. And yeah, it is. Yeah. And his is from, um, Iraq. We don't, I mean, he would never drink. He, he was a little overweight, but nothing crazy you know chemicals or what you mean that's what we think we think it's the burn the burn pits so Mm -hmm. yeah which he's now i mean he's been a disabled vet for years he was blown up three times so oh wow yeah (laughs) i mean luckily you know physically he's he's pretty all right i mean he has a spinal stimulator and battles some pain issues and then of course you know ptsd and the sleep issues and all that stuff but now we're battling the liver, you know, and, but we've yeah. spent the last six years completely diving into, I mean, like I said, I grew up ranching. Um, I, you know, went to work, I worked in agriculture, uh, commercial ag, 
And mm-hmm. um, my husband and I got married and we had five acres. The kids all had 4-H pigs. We had chickens. You know, we never weren't, I guess, homesteaders to some extent, yeah. but we didn't understand what this new movement was and how we could use that to our advantage. And that's when we dove into it was six years ago. And like I said, we now have 40 acres in North Idaho. We grow about 75 to 80% of our own food on a good year. Yeah. And it's a good thing because it's a long drive to the grocery store. So yeah. Yeah. Where you live. Sounds like it. But so <laughs> yeah. he pretty much attributes that to just healthy eating and the lifestyle. Healthy eating. Um, We didn't really, I mean, we were like weekend to have some beers with a barbecue type people mm-hmm. and we cut out drinking and a few other, you know, we changed his medication yeah. regimen and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Try to go for some more natural routes, but yeah. I, and I'm also careful to ever say, you know, if somebody's going down the road, say they're facing cancer and they're going through this, I'm always careful to say, you don't have to do it like me. I, I think you do what you feel like is right for you. Mm-hmm. That was my decision for my life. And I was prepared for the, however it turned out, but I'm also really careful to say, Hey, this is the only way don't, I, I don't ever mean to imply that to somebody because some people do have success going the doctor's mm-hmm. route and following their doctor's advice and they oh, should yeah. do that if they feel good about it. I probably you know, had a little bit different situation because it was making me so you know sicker than mm-hmm. most. And I said, I just can't do this, you know? And so I would never look at somebody and say, Oh, don't do that. Do this, you know, cause my, my situation is different. Well, yeah. And the liver, they say, there's really nothing we can do for you. Uh, go all natural. And if it gets bad enough, we'll consider a transplant plant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're our only option to combat this in any way was going all natural. Yeah. And when it comes to surgeries and things, yeah, I mean, still, you even need a doctor for that. Like I, if I hadn't had a surgery to begin with, I mean, I would, right, exactly. like I'm anti-doctor. I mean, there's things I definitely want to go to a doctor for. Mm-hmm. Well, and for I mean, sure. our, the doctor's prescription for us was a natural lifestyle that there really yeah. was nothing else they could do. So and my and, doctor suggested that on the side, but he was upset that I wasn't doing the chemo, you know, you know what the year before my husband got diagnosed, I lost my dad and my brother and my best friend all to liver disease. Mm, yeah. And so, I mean, to then have my husband diagnosed, I was like, no, I'm putting my foot down. Like we are figuring this out. And you know, that attitude's a lot of, a lot of the challenge as well too. just doing mm-hmm. what you can and getting aggressive about it. Like I say, whatever you're going to do, do it aggressively. You know, if chemo is your route, <laughs> get aggressive with it. Surgeries, whatever, get aggressive with it. If, if mm-hmm. natural li- lifestyle is, is the route you're going to go get aggressive with it. I got extremely aggressive with it. And, you know, and it really limited on what I could eat and how I was, you know, and, and the things I was doing, but, and it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was easy at all. Cause I like food. I like carbs. <laughs> I like sugar. I like things like that. It was definitely not easy, but you know, I, I went hardcore with it for two years and then I eased, I started easing up a little bit after a couple of years, but there was two years that no carbs or sugar touched my lips. I mean, none. Wow. And, and it was hard for me. Cause like I said, I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was we did keto for a minute and the hardest one for me was the creamer and my, the sweet cream in my coffee. It's not, some people say, Oh, it's the only sustainable diet. It's easy. And, blah, blah. and I'm like, well, I didn't feel that way when I was doing it. Right. But I also know that it works too. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my husband, uh, you know, besides the, some of the other health stuff, my husband and I tried keto for a little bit. Um, I was having some other health things where my weight was going up after, a, after a pregnancy, like, my body attacked itself. I had to go through steroids and all that fun stuff. Oh yeah. And my weight was just going up and he was like, well, I want to lose some. And so we tried keto and yeah, he lost 25 and I gained 16. So I was like, oh. I'm like, yeah, no, if I have to give up my coffee creamer and I'm not losing weight, <laughs> like- it does. It, there's a, there is a breaking point though with it after a couple months, it seems to get really um, work really well. I, I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm just saying it, it is, it is a, a diet that it's kind of, I don't think there's any way it doesn't work, but I also think mm-hmm. it's not easy. And it, no, and, and the kids really were with, aggressively. with such a big family, we had to kind of almost put everybody on the diet and yeah. that was really hard. I mean, even my daughter who could probably live on bacon was like, I'm done. I don't feed me any more bacon. <laughs> and that's what made it hard for me as well as that nobody else in my family was doing that. So it was just me yeah. eating that way, you know? So it's, I'm, I have a completely different meal every day than everybody else is, is eating. And, you know, that's, that's tough too, but yeah, that's what got me down the path. I mean, it, you know, I do it for a whole bunch of reasons now. I mean, I love the mm-hmm. homesteading lifestyle and I mean, there's a dozen reasons I do it now, 
Oh yeah. Health was health was definitely the one. Like I said, I grew up that way and I wanted to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's a love of the lifestyle anyway, but uh, you know, doing it on I couldn't imagine my kids growing up any other way right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never planned on I never even planned on living in town, but then you get married to a city girl and it's like, okay, I guess we're living in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, even with that, like my husband, he grew up in a small town, but in town. And he hunted and stuff, but never really with the farming. And there's, he's surprised every day by some stuff. Or, I mean, I just, we did an Instagram reel the other day of him milking a sow to save a piglet. Oh, wow. And he like comes in the house and he's like, I never thought I'd milk a pig. <laughs> yeah. Whoever would think that. That's right? awesome. Bro. That's awesome. Yeah. You'll, you'll find, you'll do things that I mean, sometimes it's the most disgusting of things. Sometimes it's the most joyful of things, but you know, doing right? on the homestead will, you know, urban or rural will, will, you will face some things that you thought you would never do for sure. You know, Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we found this piglet like stiff, thought it was already gone and yeah. saved it. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He was down at the house trying to find some like evaporated milk or something to feed it. And I was like, when you were trying to get those piglets on her earlier, she was shooting milk everywhere. Like, why don't we just collect that? And he's like, oh. And so he comes back with a video for me and he's like, yeah, I milked a pig. Milking a pig video. Yep. You don't see that every day. That's not not common. It actually, I didn't even use a trending sound on it and it's hit like in the thousands of views. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I milk. We had goats growing up and cows, but I've never, yeah, I can't imagine milking a pig. (laughs) <laughs> yeah luckily she was last year a uh, last year's 4-h pig so she's been very well handled and yeah yeah so Some it ended up working that with. yeah yeah no, no we have sows that i i mean i was just trying to check her to see how close she was to farrowing and she wouldn't let me anywhere near her i was like whatever <laughs> we had we grew up with when i was growing up we had pigs and some of them were really aggressive like if they caught you in their pen they would flat out chase you they you couldn't get oh, close yeah. to them yeah you, we, we didn't put hands on them every day we just kind of mm-hmm. let them run their area and we just dumped the food over the fence to them and we just never oh, yeah. went in there and messed with them and when you don't do that they get somewhat feral almost in their attitude i mean they you can't get close to them when yeah, it was time absolutely. to like put them on a trailer or something to take them somewhere. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a job. <laughs> we have nine sows, but we've pretty much hand raised all of yeah. them. So they're very friendly and I freak people out because I'll they'll come up and want to see the animals and I'll grab an egg and go out to the chicken coop and all of a sudden, you know, nine, 700 pound sows are running at us and they're freaking out. And then they like come to a dead stop and like very gently take the egg out of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I think it was Joel South. And I heard say it one time he was, yeah, you don't want to lay down next to a pig. Cause I'll start uh, next to a pig. Cause I'll start nibbling on your toes and stop at your spleen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, yep. Yeah, those are some of the pigs that I had growing up. You wouldn't want to mess around with them too much. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But if you get one that you've raised from, you know, kept hands on them and, and mm-hmm. yeah, like my sister-in-law, they had a, a pet pig and this wasn't like no, I mean, it was a full size, uh, pig and, and this thing turned out to be one of the biggest pigs i've ever seen in my life oh man died and she raised it as a pet its entire life and this <laughs> thing was so big and she'd go out there and just scratch its ears and rub all over and i'm like wow I, yeah i had enough experience with pigs growing up that i didn't want no part of that and yeah my I wife have... would get in there with it and like, pet it and stuff and it'd make me nervous because i've seen what i've seen mean pigs before you know but yeah i actually i have a video of it's i think it's on my instagram too of my at the time, four-year-old out there loving on my sows. Yeah, yeah. It's and they're how you raise them. Yeah. You know, the only thing I find is sometimes, you know, if they get spooked and they run, they'll knock you over, you yeah. know, no matter what size you are. It's a big animal. Or, yeah. yeah, or sometimes they come up and try to rub on your, like the back of your legs and they'll buckle you and you have to kind of watch on that one. So <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you can't get away, get out yeah. of a situation. Yeah. Exactly. And then I, I do have one sow that she's just... Like she doesn't even have a name. She's like fat B is what they call her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now I don't have to worry about it too much. I just got rabbits and quail and I've had a, I've had a rabbit bite me, but you know, it's not life-threatening. So we're good. (laughs) Right. I took a chicken to the kid's co-op yesterday to teach the kids the part of a chicken. 
And I'm like, here's the beak and I'm sticking my finger in and she's just tearing my finger up and they're like, she's biting you. And I'm like, yeah, try. we're good. Like a quail will do that too. They'll peck at my hands and try to like, like attack your hand and stuff, but you don't hardly feel mm-hmm. it, but it's just kind of funny. That- <laughs> well, it cracks my kids up. Like my 14 year old son will come back to the house. I'm like, did you get the eggs? And he's like, no, we had a broody hen and she wouldn't let me. I'm like, what do you mean? She wouldn't let you. You're 14. Like, <laughs> well. I've seen, I've seen some roosters run off into some adult men before. So well, no, roosters a whole different story. Yeah, like sure. this is just an old buff Orbington. Like, I don't even think they're her eggs. She's sitting on someone else's at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can push a hen around roosters yeah. though. That's a, yeah, I've been chased by, I've been chased by a rooster there. Aggressive. Yeah. They can be aggressive. But I have this like 180 pound kid. He's like, Mm-mm, the rooster, the chicken wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh permaculture and like on your small lot like I have only dabbled a little bit in permaculture because we have so much space it's almost mm-hmm. hard to into we integrate everything on a bigger scale yeah so. and, and you notice permaculture a lot more on a small scale the the concepts mm-hmm. work across the board they work mm-hmm. great on small or or large farm but for me you know when I started out homesteading it was just you know more traditional garden, you know, just put this here and that there. And I didn't think about companion planting. I didn't think about building guilds. I didn't think about integrating mm-hmm. things together. I didn't think about, you know, function stacking and what you, but if you want, especially on a smaller space, if you really want to make the most of your space, you really have to start thinking about integration and function stacking and utilizing that space for as many things as you can and growing mm-hmm. as much as you can and it all working together. And another big issue for me was, was time. I'm, st- I'm still working as a truck driver. So I'm still working a lot of hours every day, you know, so right. it's like I don't have a lot of time to, um, to really work on it every evening and every day, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to, and, and what I figured out with permaculture is it does take a lot of time establishing things, but once mm-hmm. it gets established, things work way better. It, it really cuts down on watering and feeding your soil and amending your soil and whatnot, because everything's working together and kind of, it's more of a natural setup. I mean, a food forest is a forest and, and, um, functions that way. I mean, everything's kind of working in a symbiotic relationship that a forest goes on without any human intervention. And it, a matter of fact, it'll thrive in that state better than, than if uh, you're, you're messing with it um, mm-hmm. or a food forest. That's what you're setting it up. You're putting the, the plants and trees and things there you want, but when it's functioning, when it grows up and it matures, you don't have to do as much. Um, it's, it's functioning in a more naturalistic way, uh, you know, uh, symbiotic way that everything's just kind of feeding the soil for the other thing or supplying the shade for this thing or whatever. Everything's kind of working together. And if you're limited on time, that makes a big difference because now it's less input. Like mm-hmm. In the beginning, it's not. If anything, in the beginning, it's probably more input. For the first couple of years, you know, you're really trying to build it. Um, and, you know, I'm about 10 years in to this homestead, but uh, didn't really start permaculture concepts till probably about seven years ago. Okay. And I, I'm still only about five years, you know, seven to five years in on that. Um, and I probably got another five years before I get it functioning in a more holistic way of where I really want it. I'm probably 50, 60% of where I really want this property. And you're thinking, well, that's a pretty small property. I mean, how much can you do? It's amazing. I mean, how well you can tie things in together. It's it's just like you're trying to build Whoa. this like well-oiled machine where everything's just working together and functioning. And um, when you walk, it's like you just got stuff all around you at all times that's providing wow. you food or something for the homestead. I absolutely believe it. We had a he- huge garden and I had such a hard time managing it and I wasn't getting the greatest of yields. And we had, we had a secondary small garden that I would use kind of as my, I called it the winter garden, but it was more early spring type plants. Um, and then I ended up, I was found I'm allergic to a weed on our property and oh. it's just been kind of a disaster. And so we did raised beds to help mitigate that for me and put, a, it's like a canvas down we got from a lumber company mm-hmm. uh, so that nothing can really grow there and protect yeah, me yeah. from that. And um, I got even though like my tomatoes didn't really do that well last year, but that's because we got them in so late that garden like produced way more than what we were getting out of our bigger garden that yeah. we've been working on. So it retained the moisture better and it know, retained the moisture. I was growing up a lot, like using mm-hmm. trellises in the middle and the fence on the edge to grow up. And in between the yeah. beds, I had, you know, 
pots with peppers in it and stuff so i could get more growth from those and yeah well something i even find you know it cuts down on on weed pulling and stuff because we're growing things so intensive and so close together mm-hmm. you know you get these recommend recommendations on a seed packet or whatever space this far apart i mean i'm less than half of that on everything we're growing things so tight knit together mm-hmm. because the soil's so healthy and we're using plants that provide a lot of nutrients for other plants we're doing practicing a lot of chop and drop with comfrey and other plants mm-hmm. and things like that that are really putting a lot of nutrients into the topsoil um so you don't have the issue of having to space things out to provide the nutrients for those plants and you can pack things together well nature doesn't like bare soil so if something's going to grow there you know and if you don't fill it with something useful the weeds are going to grow there uh, weeds oh, are useful we and, actually we have a common purslane that grows here and everybody's like, oh, you can eat it. And I'm like, no, this is like, it It can take over my whole garden in like a weekend. I usually use it for, we, I, we actually grow it as a ground cover here. And we use it a bit around stuff to keep other weeds from popping up. Eat it too. But then it's actually, we keep it low, cut down low, but it's like a ground mm-hmm. cover. The problem we have is I'll find it and it's only like, you know, half an inch tall. And I'm like, oh, I'll get out there tomorrow and start pulling. And I go out the next day and it's six inches tall and has yeah. taken over everything, especially if it's early in the year when the plants are so small and like I've said, they just suffocate some out. Yeah. There, it, 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 like anything, you have to kind of manage it at first. Uh, like I would grow it around pepper plants and it would keep the, it doesn't bother the pepper plants. They're taller and, mm-hmm. and it's not bothering at all, but it's shading the ground. It's helping with moisture uh, retention. It's helping with other weed control. Doesn't use a lot of nutrients when it's growing like some other plants mm-hmm. do. So it actually works well around some things. Some things it doesn't. You're right. If you have a lower profile plant, if you're trying to grow leaf lettuce, you can't grow purslane around it because it'll just smother yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it depends on what you have and where you have it. So there is some, still some management going on, but once things are established, they kind of just kind of. Or when it's growing around like zucchinis and cucumbers, it's like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I trellis most stuff, you know, that oh, can be yeah. trellis like cucumbers and things. So that works out great for that. And then you can grow purslane around the bottom of it right. or some other, or some other ground cover. Like I said, we do a lot of comfrey and a lot of other stuff too. Um, that's low profile plants that'll kind of grow low and, and work in that function. But then, like I said, just a lot of chop and drop too. We'll just cut leaves back and drop them. I mean, we're not wasting anything. We're, it's kind of like composting right in place. You know, it's feeding that soil uh, right where we're at. And we just found it to be a really useful technique on, especially a small property. I think permaculture takes on some different uh, practices once it gets on a larger piece of property. Like you're definitely spreading things out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You're not having to grow so intense, but it still has a lot of benefits in some ways, um, you know, on a large piece of property. And there's been some proof on that. Some folks that have large pieces of property that have been practicing permaculture have just had some, they turn into a a tremendous farm, really. I mean, they can do some pretty amazing things and Mm -hmm. you just get a variety too. It's not monocropping. I mean, so you're having a lot of variety, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, even we're technically a pig farm, but we, I mean, our pigs maybe take up an acre of our 40. Yeah. So, and I, I only let them out into pasture once in a while. So, and even, and even with animals, permaculture has a, is a huge uh, place, you know, cause you're using your animals symbiotically with your garden mm-hmm. and vice versa to, you know, in pastures, even like Joel Salat's oh, a prime example yeah. of that, how he does it. He moves things around. He'll run cattle and then run chicken tractors behind cattle, you know, and. Oh, and that's run, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. And he, he even has like a pig set up in a barn that he's got where he's composting in place with pigs, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, and he does like chickens with rabbits in a barn. I mean, he's doing all these different things and working, using them together to kind of uh, function stack. And, you know, and, and a well, lot of that's uh, permaculture you know, techniques. Some of that stuff we do, like I tell people about it that are, you know, the chicken mom people, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this time of year, I just let my chickens free range. They eat mice and bugs and grain out of the pig poop. And yeah, they're yeah. like, you just make them eat grain out of the pig poop. And I'm like, well, I bought the grain. If the pigs yeah. aren't going to digest it, like <laughs> <laughs> they love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I run our quail and rabbits, uh, but especially for, in for the quail, it works really nice too, because you raise quail. One mm-hmm. thing I noticed from the day one of raising quail, you raise them in cages. They sling food like crazy. They are the messiest little yes. birds there are. I mean, they will waste food like, like nothing. And their else. food is way more expensive than everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. But when you raise them on the ground, they can sling it all over the ground. And guess what? They just eat it off the ground. 
Mm-hmm. So they don't waste near as much food. Plus they're eating the weeds and the grass and bugs and everything else. Cause I'm moving them around in tractors mm-hmm. and, and it works great. You know, so we do that even on this, we're about a quarter acre now, but even now I'm running around my fruit tree guilds and around my garden beds and letting them just kind of fertilize the ground around that and spending less money on food and giving them a little bit better life than just being in a cage all the time too. Nice. So it works out great. We're looking into building a better chicken tractor this year. We've had one for a few years and our struggle is one shoddy craftsmanship, but that's what happens when you have a 16 year old build your chicken tractor. Um, Apparently I'm the only one on the property who knows how to build anything with right angles. So that's a whole nother. (laughs) My my husband's like, I'm a mechanic. I don't build things. And I'm like, okay, I'll help. Where's the level and the tape measure. He's like, why do I need those? (laughs) Have you seen the the Scovich uh, design chicken tractors? They're Mm -hmm. made out of like uh, conduit and um, things like that. They're actually really lightweight and really nice. They're tall. So you can walk in them. Okay. Because they make them kind of like a the problem we end up having is we don't have a flat spot on our entire property. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, even the flat spots are like our pastures are wavy. And so then when it's real stiff at the bottom, you know, you move it around and the chickens are just going mm-hmm. right out, which is why we never put our quail in them because I knew yeah. I'd just lose my quail. I've had it happen here. Yeah. They, they can find the littlest places to squeeze under and get out. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way to almost like without it being messy, have my wire come down mm-hmm. a little extra. And then as they move around it just, or have the wire almost like bend in. I don't know. I, I want to look at it, but yeah, I got to figure out something. Like I got that. mine where I kind of have it looped down under, I have it like a two by four base bottom and I have it kind of mm-hmm. go up and under a little bit. And it's actually kind of doubled up and it's kind of, it looks messy on the bottom because it's kind mm-hmm. of a thick wad of, of a chicken wire on the bottom and but yet it will kind of mold and bend as it gets in little dips and kind of push down and it does help i mean it looks a little messy from the bottom but you don't really see it and it it works well though it actually keeps things from uh from getting out but i I don't know if it's my ad like commercial ag background or what but i hate the messy and it drives me crazy well, I ended up having to put a uh, hardware cloth on the bottoms of them. I use the one inch square hardware cloth on them because mm-hmm. I actually had a raccoon dig under and kind of squeeze okay. under and get in there. And so I, now I run hardware cloth on them just to keep it from, and they're still able to get to the grass and the weeds and get their seed. That yeah. Grow. I might even be able to do like a larger weave just yeah. to keep them yeah, in. I use the, the one inch is a little bit bigger. It still gives them something to stand on when you're picking it up to move it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to be a little careful because they, it is big enough to where they could get a foot down through it, you know? So, okay. So, yeah. We don't, chicken, it would be less. Likely. We have some, I mean, we have a lot of predators here, but I have a lot of dogs. So yeah, 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 I mean, I don't really have to worry about predators too much. I think I would be in town, but they're still here. You know, possums. And oh, raccoons yeah. Are, yeah. Pretty, pretty bad in town. Um, but yeah, that's <clears> kind of how we do it there. And, and, and I just find it works great for growing things. Like I said, that waste, I mean, we do collect it when they're in the cages. Of course I keep them. I have to keep them in cages all winter. Um, mm-hmm. But when spring gets here, put them back in the tractors and move them around. But then we just collect a lot of that manure and it, you know, some of it goes directly into a garden, but then some of it just goes in the compost bins and it makes right. a fantastic compost. Again, part of that well-oiled machine trying to have it all, uh-huh. um, you know, and, and I'm really big on closing the loop. Anything I can try to close the loop on so I don't have to bring in inputs that I can produce it here on, on the homestead. You know, like I said, providing my own, uh, garden amendments you know on the homestead rather than buying stuff and bringing it in is fantastic if you can do that um mm-hmm. you know collecting my own seeds from my garden so i don't have to you know have an input coming in closing that loop you know we just start, not everything we do that with of course i'm spending money and buying things still but oh, every yeah. year i'm trying to further close that loops where more of it's being done right on property even on a small property we're still working on mitigating chaos and well, that's, some of that here. you know i mean it's the kids it's the dogs it's the yeah, yeah you know we moved on to a pre-built ranch but it hadn't been farmed in five years mm-hmm. and before that it had been farmed since the 40s and so a lot of things were old and we were just having to figure it out as we went and you know even like i have tried to compost every year and it's the dogs are getting into it. And then my husband's like, Oh, I, I I put a bunch of grass clippings on your compost for you. And I'm like, 
the same grass that you killed all the dandelions in with oh, that no. stuff and he's like yeah that ain't good oh you know and yeah. then so I started like well I'll just feed it all to the chickens and my kids would take the bowls up to the barn and never bring them back and mm-hmm. you know it just it kind of became a disaster and I finally bought myself one of those spinning compost bins and I am so excited those about were it good a lot of people have a lot of success and it's not an option for me because I don't have chickens. And I don't have a place mm-hmm. to really do this. But um, if you have, they, they just do the deep litter methods with chickens and they just mm-hmm. pile their compost, keep piling yeah. it. And the chickens just constantly work it. They're, you know, putting their manure in it. They're turning it constantly. And then you just kept li- keep letting that build and build and build. And then it's just compost by the time you scoop it out and it's ready to use on our garden. You know, yeah. there's a lot of folks doing that with a lot of success. Yeah, we're actually, um, we are pulling the front off of our chicken coop and scraping this year to do a reset. And that's going to, that's all going into the compost pile. Yeah, it'll be in, in a lot of it probably already is composted if it's been in there a while. Just well, the manure there. pile that we. Yeah, yeah. Going. Are you on deep littering? Oh, yeah. Using the deep litter method. Yeah. Well, we have been using the deep litter method for okay. several years. And so now uh, the pigs got into there and tore everything up. So we're like, Ooh. we're just going to scrape everything and start fresh. We kind of, so we thought our hot wire was working really good because everybody was staying where they were supposed to stay. And then our herding dog got hit by a snowplow and got oh, killed. Oh, wow. And turns out the herding dog was just really good at his job. He yeah. kept everybody where they were supposed to be. And literally within 48 hours, I was running a free range pig operation. you know what and i mean even even on a small livestock there's just going to be times when things like that happen things are going to get out things are going to i mean it's just the reality of homesteading isn't well there's always going to be something like that and it turns out while the hot wire was down the pigs covered it in mud and now it's frozen so i we can't even fix the hot wire right now like so we're just kind of mitigating the the crazy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we used to have this crazy dog, you know, and he was a puppy, and and uh, we ended up having to get him another home because he was the most destructive thing I've ever seen in my life. And he was a small dog, he was a miniature schnauzer. I mean, it was just the most destructive dog I've ever seen in my life. And uh, like, I had a whole bunch of blueberry bushes in the uh-huh. backyard, and this dog had a personal vendetta against blueberry bushes. I don't know what it was, but he ripped out, he literally grabbed them all at the base and ripped them out of the ground, every single one of them. And, and, and we kept him around for a couple of years and finally we just had a close family member and like, here you go. Uh, we can't, it know, happens. He's, I mean, he's a great dog, but he just did not fit on this property because he was the most destructive thing I've ever seen in my life. We had a border but, collie that wouldn't stay in America. So yeah, like he's, he's, he was in Canada every day yeah, yeah, and you, finally he kept getting picked up by their, you know, humane society up there. And we, we couldn't get across the border because of COVID stuff and it was a constant disaster. And I was like, I'm done. Rehome him. I can't do it. I mean, we couldn't even like let him, we, I mean, we're on 40 acres. We do not have our 40 acres, like where it can keep dogs on. Yeah. And I mean, we'd uh, let him out to go to the bathroom and he was gone. Yeah. That, it happens. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, we didn't never change or, you know, pin the dog up or put a fence no. up for dogs or anything. They just ran, they, you'd find them at neighbors that bring them back to you like five mm-hmm. miles down the road all the time. It was like, wow, they and, just aren't satisfied with this piece of property, you know? Right. And we live in a community where everybody kind of knows everybody and most people are pretty chill about it. And you know, my dogs, I mean, I went to the neighbor, a newer neighbor's house over the weekend and, um, my dog follows me and she's like, Oh, hi, Bojangles. And I was like, that's cash. That's my dog. And she's like, Oh, we call him Bojangles. <laughs> like, they, they've had your dog on their property so much. They just named it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's whatever. Great. Like, so now actually my husband's calling him that because he thinks it fits him better. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm like, oh, he's a, he's only a year old. We can change his names. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's great. Well, well I, um, I tell you, I mean, I, the reality is though, whether you're an urban homesteader or, a, or a homesteading on 40 acres or wherever you're at, uh-huh. I mean, there's challenges and there's, there's oh, different yeah. ways of doing it, but it's, you know, it can be done anywhere, but there's challenges wherever you do it for sure. I love it. Well, I'm looking at time and we're about done with what we have, but something I ask every guest at the end of the episode is what does keep growing mean to you? keep growing well i mean it obviously has homesteading implications as far as the food that we're growing uh-huh. but 
I am, I'm big on growing in skills every year. I try to take on one or two things at least every year and learn something new. This year it's been herbal, uh, learning how to do herbal remedies. And, and then later in the year, it's going to be foraging. So, I mean, I always want to grow nice. my knowledge of this things with homesteading. And those are a couple of things that I'm, I feel like I'm lacking in and I always want to be growing. And the next year it'll be a couple more things, but I think it's important to always grow, you know, always learn something new, always try something new. And, and then it, it goes beyond the homestead. I mean, it just goes into personal life too. I, I just want to grow as a human being and, you know, and learn and, 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 um, take on new challenges and new things. And I mean, that's life to me, you know, it gets kind of boring if you just stay the same your whole life. Right. Absolutely. Um, so if somebody's wanting to get started on a, um, small piece of land or with permaculture, do you have something you would resources you would suggest yours or someone else's or well i definitely would point them to, to my podcast i mean that's all we talk about is not just yeah. homesteading in general but the modern homesteading podcast is i feel like it's a great resource right uh, i really have been enjoying it yeah, we you know and i've been writing about it for years and and uh i'm i'm really big on just encouraging people because i think the bigger challenge is not the the knowledge to start it's getting started you know uh, yes. putting a seed in some soil is really not that hard, you know, and, and watering mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's something, there is a little bit of a skill, a little bit of a learning process, but in the end, yeah, just do it. do it and things will grow. And I just want to inspire people and encourage them to just do it. Don't, don't play the someday game. Like I did. Yes. For years. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Even if you just got to put something in a planter pot and set it on a balcony, mm -hmm. start growing something that's edible, you know, anything that's edible, just start growing it. Find the food you like, something will grow in your area, in your zone, and drop some seeds in some soil. Nice. And then learn from there. Just get started. Mm -hmm. Put in a raised bed if you think your soil isn't good enough and fill it with some better soil. Or just dig a hole and or, you know, stir up the soil and plant it right in your yard. Just get something going. And don't play the someday game because someday may never come. It might. But even if it does, the skills you're going to learn right now. The progress you're going to make right now will benefit you so much, even if you do end up on that bigger piece of property or that dream homestead you keep thinking about. And just uh, get started right now, right where you're at. That's awesome. So I know you pointed everybody in the Modern Homesteading Podcast direction. Where else can they find you? Well, of course, the website, redemptionpermaculture.com uh, is where I do all the blogging. I did write a book a few years ago called From Home to Small Town Homestead. And it's basically about that. It's about taking a small piece of property and evaluating it for a homestead, figuring out what you can do right where you're at. And I do, I talk about, you know, just evaluating the property, figuring out like all the, the sunlight issues and figuring out where to put stuff and how to get started doing it. And then a lot of just the general ideas of building a homestead, not just growing an annual garden bed, but planting fruit trees, putting in berry bushes, you know, taking it inside and, you know, food preparation, food preservation, because in my experience, one of the greatest homesteading skills you'll ever learn is cooking. Because yes. you can grow everything you want, but if you don't know what to do with it after you harvest it, what good is it, right? So, you know, absolutely again, one of those areas as well. So, yeah, I just talk about just getting started homesteading, basically. That's awesome. I love it. So, everybody, go check him out. And thank you so much for coming on today. Well, it was great. I'm glad you had me on. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing! <laughs>